Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. Sir, the possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1. Never tell me the odds. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast. Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And uh, we kind of got a different type of episode for you today. And if you've listened to us for any length of time, and if you ever listen to Hardcore Church Planting, which was one of Peyton's favorite podcasts that we did, um, you know that when we have guests, uh, Peyton pretty much geeks out, takes over, and you'll forget that I'm even on the podcast until the end. And I don't see this being any different. <laughs> so, Peyton, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you introduce the guests. Well, it's it's funny because our guests, uh, they don't know that they were tricked to be on this podcast. They think they're on a real podcast. But Dr. Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger are our guests today. Scott McKnight is professor of New Testament at Northern Seminary and a recognized authority on the New Testament, early Christianity, and the historic Jesus. He's the author of more than 90 books, including A Church Called Tove, The Award-Winning, The Jesus Creed, and The Blue Parakeet. He and his wife, Kristen, live in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, and Laura Berenger is a teacher and the co-author of A Church Called Tove. She's also a children's ministry curriculum writer for Grow Kids, and she co-authored the children's version of The Jesus Creed. A graduate of Wheaton College, Laura resides in the northwest suburbs of Chicago with her husband, Mark, and three beagles. And we're going to talk about their new book, Pivot, The Priorities, Practices, and Powers That Can Transform Your Church Into a Tove Culture. So, uh, and this, by the way, is uh, really kind of the follow-up to the church called Tove, and it's more practical on how to address and prevent abuse something that uh, Pete and I are pretty big on, not abuse, but preventing it, stopping it, having you as a church planter actually kind of plant your church in a way that's going to protect people from day one. So this is kind of a passion 
uh, subject for us. I'm actually, even though I'm I'm messing about and saying they have no idea what what's about to hit them with this podcast. Actually, it's a super big honor to have you both on here. So welcome. Well, thank you. Good to be with you. And we hope Pete gets in a word or two. Yeah, you'd no. hope. You'd hope, but. On on hardcore church planning, uh, often I wouldn't tell Pete in advance what book was coming on, but he had a rad question at the end, which was, and we're not going to do this to you, but we we would pretty much pit whatever guests we had against another kind of contemporary in the same field. So we might say something like, if you and, and then I insert. Asked, I think we asked Ed Stetzer who would win in a fist fight, him or Rick Warren. <laughs> You know, that's that's kind of how we would do it each week. Just Yeah, Ed Ed thought he could take him. Most <laughs> people think they can take the opponent, but every once in a while someone acquiesces. Oh, they're too nice. I can't punch them in the face. So anyways, both of you, it's good to have you. Uh, let, let's just kick in. You both, you wrote a book a few years ago called A Church Called Tove, which is about resisting abuse and creating a goodness culture. Um, I was just wondering if you want to just summarize that book before we jump into this one. Our story began with the unfolding of the Willow Creek tragedy here in Chicago, and we wanted to write a redemptive solution to the problems that are too often prevalent in churches. Willow Creek was just but was but one. Harvest Bible Church is down the road from us as well. And and over and over again, the Southern Baptists, the Catholic churches. So we we were able to identify toxic habits of unhealthy churches. And then we created, we call it the circle of Tove, and we flipped it so that rather than having this toxic element, what would be the goodness pattern to develop instead? And so that's that was the goal of a church called Tove is to help identify the problem and then form a goodness culture that will resist abuses of power and help the wounded heal. That's great. Well, okay. So the new book, Pivot, The Priorities, Practice, and Powers That Can Transform Your Church into a Tove Culture. Can you tell us a little bit about how this book is related? We kept getting asked over and over again. We kept getting asked questions like, well, what do we do? We see that our we see that there's a toxic trait, there's a red flag. How do we transform our culture? How do we initiate change? How do we, we, we believe what your book said that we, we believe that churches should be good, but how do we do that? And, and like, what do I do if I'm not in a position of leadership? I just see red flags. And so I've graduated from my initial response. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what you do. (laughs) I'm just telling you what the problem is. You go figure it out. Um, But we that question those questions kept surfacing over and over again in the last couple of years and so that's how pivot came about is our prayerful attempt we we read widely we had many conversations with um people that had not started churches or who wanted to all the way down to established churches and pivot is our um answer to those questions you know, it's, it's interesting, Peyton and Pete. Um, 
I teach doctoral students DMIN program at Northern Seminary, and they're really fun to teach. You know, they're pastors in churches. And so their questions are not uh, about Josephus. They're about Joseph in their church who's got problems with this and that. So um, I'm talking about Tove with my classes and also about uh, when we developed the main ideas in Pivot, I began to pass them by the students to see what they were thinking. And the students of mine who were church planters and who were at the beginning of a church said, wow, these are these are the sorts of things that we that we want to focus on and that we have been focusing on in planting a church so that the culture that forms in the church is much more Christ-like. That's that sort of uh um that sort of response. I mean, I I have to say I'm not shocked by that because these are basics, but at the same time, it was very uh, affirming to hear these students who are church planting uh bring these issues up as well. Mm. Well, I, I just want to say personally, uh, thank you for writing both of you a book in, in the two books like this, because you have saved, I think, people from having to, to find out the hard way mm. and to reinvent the wheel and giving them a, a framework for how to keep people safe. I mean, we over the years, we've made statements like, hey, if these things happen on your watch and it's been due to negligence, I mean, I come from the, from the medical world, um, uh, you know, medical malpractice is a thing at 20 years old. I had to get medical malpractice insurance just to get my RN, uh, license, just to be a student. Um, you don't get to practice on people. Right. You don't get to destroy people's mm. lives. And ministry is dangerous. Me being a nursing student was dangerous. That's mm. why I had to get that insurance. And I think that uh, for church planners, it is dangerous for anyone going into ministry without a set of guidelines that are going to keep people safe. So I just on a, on a personal level, and I know our audience because they know us and we say, if it happens on your watch, you might consider forfeiting your right to minister to people. Um, that's how strong we feel about it on this podcast. I mean, I know that sounds very harsh, but that that was that was what I went into as an RN, you know, with people's lives. So uh, it, it's just one of those things. Like we don't mess around um, with this because it can wound someone deeply, deeply. Uh, so just thank you from us and our audience. Um, so uh, getting into the actual uh, subject matter of the book, I really like the the title pivot right like and and i want you to just kind of speak to why that was the title uh but i know there's priorities practices and powers that are in the titles and we want to talk about some of the the values all those things we'll dig into that but can you talk to us briefly about why the title pivot laura can laura can be the witness to the origin of this title my dad had suggested pivot and I don't know if everybody knows this is my dad. Scott's my dad. And what? I, I did not know that. Sometimes, yeah, oftentimes people don't know that. We just assume. But um, 
I, my dad suggested pivot. And I said, you can't have a book called pivot. That's the friends episode that everybody knows. Oh. And like the most famous episode <laughs> ever. Well, he had never heard of it. He's like, I didn't, he doesn't watch friends. He didn't know what I was talking about. Pivot. <laughs> pivot. I know. So we kind of went back and forth. Um, but go ahead, dad. Well, yes, but I, I saw this idea of pivot and I thought, you know, this is, uh, th- there is not any real, I, I I think we looked on Amazon for a while. I didn't find any book that was really doing what we were doing that's called Pivot. And yet at the same time, it's a pretty clever one word title that uh, says the whole thing of what we're doing. And uh, after learning about, was it Friends? Is that what, you, was that the name of the oh, show yeah. where they, then we Harry watched Couch Pivot? We watched we watched it online. So so oh, we, good. Thought I, it was, we thought I, it was pretty funny, but obviously it didn't it didn't resonate with me one bit to have that as the title. Uh I was worried more that people would think that this came out of the business world. Uh so I, I started paying attention. Students liked it, but he, here's the funny thing about the title is um Publishers, you know, they get all the marketing people and the design people, they start diagramming pivot and they came up with some ideas. And Laura was at dinner with a friend who's a book designer, a book cover designer, I think. No, she's an artist. An artist. Yeah. She starts diagramming on a napkin uh, the word pivot so that it would shift. Uh, You know, there would be in the middle of the word, it would have an angle. But realized in the process that the last three letters backwards are toe. Oh, cool. So, so we went, any publisher who turns this down is a bit wacky. And you do have to sometimes negotiate with publishers for titles and covers. But so they started working on titles and then, I mean, covers and Laura, Laura worked with them. Hmm. I, I just said, I like it. I don't like it. And, um, <laughs> Then, uh, so we, now we have, a, we think, a pretty cool title. But that's that's where the title came from. I'm is, glad I asked that question. Yeah. yeah not many <laughs> the, people know this. <laughs> and and it is a cool, like, I love the title. Um, I love the the graphic design where it, it angles that around. That That is actually almost meant to be. But uh, the most important thing I actually got out of the entire question was that you have now seen the Friends uh, clip with Bevat in it that 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 was the most important takeaway there so uh laura you have done your father proud you've done him a great service to let him see that so uh okay well hey let's let's jump into some of the the unhealthy values that really uh have caused the problem like what are some of the unhealthy values that church planners should be on the alert for well, you know, this takes us back to the Tove thing. Um, and part of the process for me, I'm a Bible guy, you know. Uh, I let the Bible kind of shape where I go and see if we can get the church to think about what the Bible says. Other people are going to sort of begin with what's going on in the world and use the business world and then try to figure out how to get some Bible verses connected to it. So when we did pivot, we did uh, discover, uh, in a rather unusual way, in the end, uh, sort of the marks of toxic institutions, cultures, churches, and 
with those seven categories that we came up with that we agreed on, it was pretty easy to find a lot of examples. But I, I wanted to say, what would be the Christian alternative here? And so we flipped the script, say, from narcissism to empathy. Well, when we started this next book, Pivot, we uh, the ruling image is of a is a peach tree. That Laura, I think Laura found the peach tree. It's just because I have a peach tree in my backyard. We just used so, <laughs> so we have a, a peach tree, and you know this uh, automatically uh, was valuable for us because I was thinking of the fruit of the spirit. These would be the characteristics of a Tove church. Um, along with these seven other marks that we had in Tove. But I also thought it would be wise to talk about the toxicities through the lens of the manifestations of the flesh in in Galatians chapter 5 that correspond in some ways to the fruit of the Spirit, and just started thinking about the sorts of characteristics that are found in toxic churches that lead toward bad fruit, ultimately, even though in some of these churches, they do get good numbers. You know, they build their church fast, and all of a sudden, they got a charismatic preacher and an awesome band, and they got smoke on the platform, and they got all the the right website and all this stuff. And they think that, you know, I I know a guy who started a church with a website first. That's what he did first. I said, well, how how about getting some people, you know? <laughs> um, but um, I I think we started working on the, uh, I started working on the manifestations of the flesh and began to notice some characteristics that really resonated with me with toxic church, like competition, greed, um, hmm. ambition. Uh, and, and I guess ambition is not that bad of a word, but in most people's mind, uh, it's a little bit unworthy of a pastor to have ambition. Um, they want to have passion, but the ambition to be big, to be famous, to become a celebrity, to look like Rick Warren, to get your church like Andy Stanley or Craig Groeschel, those sorts of things almost always start distorting what's going on rather mm-hmm. than ministering to the people that you have. You know, I yeah. tell my students, this is a this is a common statement I make in my classes. Pastor the people you've got, not the people you've not got. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, you know, these are the people that are in your church. That's your job. That, those are your people. Now, you don't like them. You want to get rid of them. That's the ones you not got. And you want other kinds of famous people in your church with lots of money. Those are the people you've not got. You don't get to pastor those. You pastor the people you've got. Yeah. So, um, it just those those are the sorts of the toxicities that we began to notice when we started using the fruit of the, uh, the manifestations of the flesh. Well, in you, the fit, soil. you fit in on this podcast. Let me tell you, we tell we tell church planners, oh, you, you want a big church and you want fame? Yeah, pick a different career. Church planning is <laughs> not for you. That's not why you go into church planning. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'm. I like Rick Warren. I mean, I, um, I like Rick Warren, okay. But uh, I like Tim Keller. And he spawned all these people who wanted to plant churches in the city, of, you know, like Chicago, New York, Dallas, wherever, L.A. Um, but I found with 
many that I talked to, they wanted to be like Tim Keller mm. rather than to be the church planter in the context they were. Yes. And what made Tim Keller was that he pastored in the context where he was. Yes, he did. Same. I mean, it, it's funny because uh, I went over to Wales and was at Lloyd Jones's Dockside Presbyterian Church, known as Sandfields, as the evangelist for a few years. And and that little church, the same thing. You know, of course, Lloyd Jones being Lloyd Jones, God bless that ministry. It blew up. Harley Street physician, but he just ministered to those dockside blue collar workers in front of him. Like you said, he just. Nobody wanted to go there. That's why he went there. That's why that church was open. He just went there and loved on those people. And then when I came to faith, I was in Calvary Chapel and uh, Chuck Smith just ministered the hippies in front of him. And uh, but but so many of the other pastors wanted what Chuck had. They wanted the big church. They wanted the toys. They wanted the money. And it's just it's mm-hmm. it's weird. It's it's like trying to. I, I love that you connect that to uh, the, the the characteristics of the flesh. That's amazing. So, uh, man, uh, who'd have thunk that the Bible has answers that church planners <laughs> could use? Um, well, that that's amazing. So, okay, so the unhealthy things, um, the characteristics of the flesh or manifestations of the flesh, those are the unhealthy things. Um, what is in contrast? to that what what are the what should the goal be for church planners or what should our churches look like so again this kind of brings us back to a church called tove but if you think of the peach tree image and a healthy tree that's producing healthy fruit rather than the fleshly toxicity you would have like love, you would have love, you would have, um, I'm looking at our diagram right now, time proven faithfulness, a life of spirit shaped spiritual transformation, that it would be centered on Jesus, um, and a commitment to what the faith teaches. And those would, those would feed, those habits would feed the soil and feed the tree so that the fruit and coming out of the tree is healthy. Yeah. And we, uh, we, we connect the powers that let's say that are the dirt in our image of the tree. I read a whole book on dirt on the history of dirt in Western in, in civilization It's really pretty, pretty good book. You need Sounds to read John Lewis Stimple. You actually, <laughs> I'm just telling you, it's like deep calling to deep. You need to read that man. Okay, but but this book on dirt showed that uh, civilizations die when Mm. people treat dirt, uh, the topsoils, bad. Mm. So, so we uh, we worked on on the fruit of the spirit, but the powers at work are the spirit of God and the grace of God at work. Let's say the example of Jesus. Uh, so it's it's sort of a Trinitarian vision that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit at work in the dirt to produce the juices that flow into fruit that manifest themselves in a, as as healthy fruit. Um, it was very interesting for me theologically 
and for Laura and me as we worked on this, the chapters were very difficult to organize. And uh, we felt over and over that we could have begun with almost any of the chapters and found a different order of them. But our uh, one of our, our really cool editor worked with us on these. But, but uh, to me, when it comes to the fruit, let's say, what you want to happen, we narrowed it to three big, big ideas. And that was that... Uh, uh, let's say a healthy church plant will focus on character development in believers. This is everybody wants discipleship, don't they? But they want to reduce it to a program and then preach about all kinds of cool things. Uh, but the a pervasive approach to character development really changes things. And this is what happens with the opening examples that Laura wrote about from Mike Lucan and uh, Kent Carlson at their church in California. The second thing is, this is really important to me, and that is um, healthy church plants will have a proper use of power. Uh, power is a big issue in churches. And it's everything's fine as long as everybody's doing what the people with power want them to do. But the minute they challenge that is when power becomes ugly, and then all of a sudden character is revealed that is unworthy of the kinds of power that churches need to have. And then the third, so character, power. And the third thing is, is that I think that healthy church plants will focus on leaders and other people in the church, of course, becoming worthy examples of being followed. So um, I study the first century quite a bit. Education in the first century was not about information as it is in our day. It was about emulation. You had to find someone to imitate. And uh, that's that is really transformative for a vision for a church plant. And for churches is to say, am I worthy of being copied by other people? I mean, you don't really want to stand up and say, you know, I'm really good at the Christian life. So just just watch me. But without saying so, you you know, leaders need to have a, a little bit of confidence that they've got some of this figured out and they they want to help people along. They're following Jesus and they want to help people follow Jesus with them. So. Amen. That's a really powerful statement. Am I worthy of being copied? I mean, I, there's a lot to that right there. I mean, that's, that's going to cause people to think to really check themselves. Right. I mean, that's cool. Yeah. In, in, uh, in church plantology, uh, we really point out the fact that, um, Paul hammers on character, like character is what matters. And he gives a slight nod to gifting. Um, but in almost every single epistle, there's something to the effect of imitate me. You know, my way of life, my manner, um, uh, put these, do these things, put them into practice. It's all there. And it, it's funny when you're talking about power, because I think church planners have this, um, this built in hardwired uh, mechanism 
that helps keep you humble because uh, you don't have money. You can't lord money like you you can't employ people. Um, I was talking to a church planner yesterday who's been at it for 10 years. They're in a, in a building, they're leasing, which means that um, finances are tight. And he was showing me around. Sorry, that's my train. That's that's the other guest on the show that makes cameos. Uh, but uh, he said, you know, I, I I run, I mean, almost everything's done volunteers. And I I made the point of saying, you know, I love that because having volunteers means you have to be nice right you just it's hard built it's hardwired into it you got to be nice and if you can learn that in leadership for 10 years i got to be nice to people that's a character builder and so i i think church planners might have one step ahead on that once you get money money is power and once you can you know lord money over people's livelihoods and salaries there's room for abuse. It can, and, and I'm not saying that has to be. I'm just saying it. It creates an opportunity, perhaps that uh, volunteers don't. But I've also seen people mistreat volunteers. So there you go. There blows that theory. <laughs> um, it's. I mean, there, that sense. It's a really good observation. That sense of ownership that occurs when uh, when people are employees. That you, as the boss can control what they do because you can fire fire them changes the dynamic but with a volunteer they can walk away mm-hmm. you don't have any ownership that way unless they have surrendered total allegiance to you then it's a emotive emotional ownership at some level yeah Absolutely. I th- I think many, many leaders, perhaps in the 80s, 90s, during the growth of the megachurch could have used uh, maybe a good five-year, 10-year stretch of being poor and learning how to work with with people and volunteers. That, that might have changed things slightly. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, people are typically resistant to change in general. And so because the book is called Pivot, and it's saying, hey, we got to change how we do this. We got to change our priorities, our practice, and powers. How do you recommend in the book? And I, and I don't want you to give it away because I uh, literally everybody here um, listening, uh, I would I would recommend you get uh, a church called Tove, and then you get the book Pivot and use them as a guidebook. Like you know, don't take a shortcut on this, guys. Make sure. You have these are going to be guidebooks. It's going to be a philosophy and then a practical how-to. Um, but guys, just a little glimpse. How do you recommend implementing that change? The first thing that comes to mind for me is knowing where you're at. We base a lot of our we read widely, but we read very deeply. Edgar Schein is a researcher, and my dad had this book's big thick book sent to my house and said, read this. I was like, dad, but it was, it was very, very good. And it's about, he's the leading researcher on organizations and organizational change. And his recommendation was know where you're at and clearly identify if you have problems. Um, One of our good friends, who's a pastor, Steve Carter, I had a long conversation with him as we were writing pivot. And he said, when his church read a church called Tove, they spent, I don't know how many weeks, but they they focused entirely on their past 
and identified the unhealthy characteristics of where they came from. So we had one of my dad's friends as a pastor who said, we need like a, like an assessment, like we need to be able to assess how we're doing in these different areas. And so we worked to develop what we call a Tove tool and our hope, it's not statistically normed or anything like that, but our hope is that it will allow those who are forming churches to have spirit-led, meaningful conversations about power and how, how people are being treated, how empathetic they are, and that it will reveal, um, what needs to be revealed. And that's, that's what, in my opinion, I think that's where change starts. Yeah, There has to be a, a realization. That's exactly what I would have said is the Tove tool is sort of our way of getting churches now, some of these would be a little bit more established churches, but church planning is not doesn't isn't that far away from this at least. And that is, uh, there has to be some assessment about some basic basics at the moral level, at the spirituality maturity level, and that's where we would start. the The other thing is, um, this is a little bit different for church planning, but not that far off. I'm teaching a course with D-men students. I think it's D-men. Anyway, there's a guy in the back row who was auditing the class in the summer, intensive, you know, nine to four every day. Um, And he's auditing. And he doesn't say much. And then, like, and I'm talking about Tove. I think maybe uh, I talk for it about 45 minutes at the beginning of every day, maybe on Wednesday or Thursday. He says, I I would like to ask a question. He said, Scott, he said, I did a PhD in organizational transformation. <laughs> I went, oh, brother, what have I said? And he, he said something really funny. He said, um, you have all the right ideas, but the wrong terms. And what he meant by that was my terms don't correspond to the business world. They correspond. And then he pointed me to Edgar Schein's book. Which was the the key is the key book, and we it generated all kinds of reading for me. But this is this is the thing that he said in my class that I will never forget that I've seen confirmed, and I've talked to many pastors about this who have actually gone on the path of transformation. He said is a standard rule observation in the business and corporate world that if you want to transform a culture, if the leaders and the and the group buys into it it will take 7 years oh and i thought that's what if the leaders and the workers buy into it you know churches have a lot of volunteers they're not employed so buying in is an, is another thing altogether so uh i so we would say you know start with the idea you got to figure out what the group is actually like and then realize you're in for something that's going to take a long time. And then uh, another principle, because it's going to take a long time, and because you are a church is made up of volunteers, and some people are deeply committed, so they're not quite volunteers, is uh, the practice of one step at a time is very important. 
And uh, a student in my, a pastor in my class, when I was talking about this, says, you know how you move a, a piano in the front of your church? And I said, I said, what do you mean move it? He said, you want to move it from one side to the other? I said, no, I don't know anything about this. He said, one inch a month. <laughs> he said, if you try to move that piano all the way across the platform in one week, you'll have all kinds of criticism. But if you move it slowly, no one will ever notice and you'll be okay. That's and that is that such, is. there's such a vision though. I mean, it's really the practice of transforming, getting people to change needs to be taken with the deepest seriousness of anything that we work with. So. Hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. You know, it, it's, it's kind of funny because church planning, when you're forming that team to get ready, that's actually what you're doing is you're forming a culture. Yeah. Right? You're forming a exactly. culture. If you're going to go on mission with these group of people, you have to have something to bring them into that reflects the message of the gospel. So your culture, like that's what we actually focus on in training planners is creating kingdom culture that when you're giving the message of the kingdom, what you're bringing them into isn't a disconnect. Um, they're actually experiencing that. Uh, I don't know, Apest Ephesians four, we like to think, you know, you're, they're getting romanced by the gospel. Their souls are being shepherded. They're going deeper into the teaching wisdom of God. They're hearing the prophetic word of God that applies to their life. They're, uh, experiencing the mission of Jesus. So that apest um, kind of framework, we try to tell them like, hey, that that was Christ's ministry and the church is that in the world now. So uh, they, you need to be creating that culture. I think the danger is if a church doesn't intentionally create culture, culture gets created for the church. Mm -hmm. It's going to get created, but you can be passive and let a an unhealthy culture form church planner, or you can take the advice of uh, Scott McKnight, Laura Berenger, uh, take the principles out of pivot and a church called Tove and say, you know, we're going to be intentional about building the culture. So if you're in a church planning core team building phase, this is not a bad idea to grab hold of this and incorporate this into the culture that you're trying to build. You know, you you talked about uh, building a team. We have a chapter on forming a coalition. And one of the things that I've learned in life and also have learned in uh, in reading about this is there is a there is a tendency for visionaries to try to get buy-in for their idea rather than to listen to the people in the congregation, let's say in build your coalition, let's say build your team and listen to what they have to say that forms the coalition in a, in a, a total buy-in and ownership so that it's their vision and not just the top down vision. And then Amen. when you start moving out to a little bit larger circle, you're going to have to be patient again and listen some more. I, I find I find that if you really want to build a culture that is tove, you're going to have to be really patient in listening to find out what other people can contribute to that culture. It's not just, uh, you know, we read 
a culture called a church called Tove, and we read Pivot, and now we know how to do it. It's not, you know, it's not simple like that. Mm-mm. Well, you guys fit in on this podcast so well. Just even what you just said is so much the message that we give here about what gifts is the Holy Spirit divinely put on your team. Maybe that's the direction you need to go. It's not your individual five-year plan. We're huge on team leadership, huge on listening, all that stuff you said. So you guys heard it here. Um, Scott and Laura are going to be the new, uh, our co-hosts. There's going to be four of us now, and we're <laughs> going to be taking this show forward. Um, I, I, I know you guys are liking what you're hearing. Again, uh, my guests today have been Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger. Uh, you, you, you have heard in the biography, uh, the, just the details we gave at the beginning over 90 books, folks, that's pretty dang impressive. Um, but this one is going to be value again, or valuable again, the book, uh, that you need to pick up. There are two. Uh, the first, A Church Called Tove, and the second one, Pivot, The Priorities, Practices, and Powers That Can Transform Your Church Into a Tove Culture. Well, we want to thank you both for being on the show today. Are there any final words or thoughts that you have for us, either Scott or Laura or both? We talked to so uh, such a wide variety of people, and I think church planters are... They get it gives me such hope because you're starting with a clean slate. You're building from the ground up. You get to decide to build a tove culture before you mm-hmm. even begin. And yeah. so it gives me a great, great amount of joy and hope to mm-hmm. um speak to church planners. That's why I like to write the book with Laura. That was a good <laughs> idea. Absolutely. You guys so, should see what it's like to write a book with my dad. I'm I'm impressed. I think that's the coolest thing. And I'm just thinking, because I have two daughters, that would be my dream is to have uh, one of my daughters write a book with me. How cool is that? So uh, you've done something right, Dr. McKnight. That's pretty awesome. So, and Laura, thanks for Thanks for being a, a an author, especially with this subject on your heart and, and sharing your passion with us. So, guys, uh, that's it. That's what we got. And uh, be sure, again, to pick up the book, Pivot, The Priorities, Practices, and Powers That Can Transform Your Church into a Tove Culture. Pete, sign oh, us out. Sign us out? Okay. <laughs> Hey, if you want to reach the ones that nobody's reaching, you got to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. But I do want to know, uh, Dr. McKnight, if you and Schnabel were to get in a fist fight, who would win? Eckhart, Eckhart. Schnabel. Eckhart yeah. and I would have a verbal <laughs> war. Auf Deutsch. Nice. <laughs>